Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and the raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Welcome to episode 78. Before we get into the movies that we watched this week, there's something really briefly we wanted to touch on. Is that yesterday, August 12th, a old but very important friend of ours passed away. His name was Carlin Morrison and... We met him in high school, and we met him separately from each other. Um, he and, he was at a different school in a different town from us, but I met him. I met him through my girlfriend at the time, who went to that school. It was a French immer- French immersion school, and uh, we had crossed paths at some parties in high school while we were dating, and then he eventually came to our school. And he was a part of the music scene. He was part of the theater scene. I feel like he was a part of almost every scene. Yeah. Because Carlin was just a social butterfly and he could just move from group to group to group because he is one of the kindest people that you would have ever met. Yeah, I don't know how somebody could meet Carlin and not just love him. Um, He and I kind of became close in high school when he was in a play that uh, me and a couple of my friends, uh, Jordan and your friend Ben and yeah. our friend Hal. Um, I mean, Ben was my friend too, but he was your really good friend. We're doing that you were supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. And then you ditched out on it and everybody just stepped up to the plate and took on double roles to make up for the fact that we somehow had to get the role that you were supposed to play working with very little time. And the group of us, Jordan and Carlin, Hal, me, and Ben just had like such a good time doing this play. And then I have a, a great video from my 18th birthday, which you weren't invited to. <laughs> but um, we went to K Days to see Our Lady Peace. 
And then we went to O'Burns, which is an Irish pub on White Ave in Edmonton. And they have like an open mic. And Carlin was really drunk. And he sang the song Kylie by, who's it by? Oh, Bear versus Shark? Yeah. But he was so <laughs> drunk. And he's like such a talented musician, but he was not doing such a good job. And our friend Ben was just so embarrassed and wanted him to get off the stage. But I have this this video of him singing it and then giving me like a big, huge hug at the end because it was my birthday. So he was singing it to me. But I think the the place where paths cross with both of us because uh, Carlin was your friend and you guys were in some musical projects. But after high school, we were me and you, Elliot, were in a band that Car- Carlin was in as well. Yeah. Um, just to play catch up and share a bit of my time with Carlin is once he moved to our school, Carlin was a part of my life in many aspects of my life in that I I was in a band with Ben and we were a two piece for a long time and it was called Alistar Quasim. What a name. Yeah. A couple of goofy junior high kids came up with that and then we just wrote it out until, until graduation and passed then. Um, but Near the latter half of the band, we had asked Carlin to be in the band, and he was in the band for a while. Uh, when I worked at the movie theater, it started becoming this thing where people that you love hanging out with and some of your best friends, you just try to get them hired at the theater. Unfortunately, that didn't work for you, Kylie, because your one friend was a bit doinky about it. Yeah. But Carlin eventually worked at the movie theater. So it was at school. It was after school. It was at work where Carlin and me were together in some form or another. And I will never forget that Carlin, whenever he saw me, for the most part, in a very high-pitched voice, he would go, Elliot! And then he would run at me and jump at me with arms and legs wrapped around me. That sounds correct. (laughs) Kind of scaling me like a koala bear around a tree. I mean, that's a unique way to hug, but when he was hugging traditionally... One of the best huggers. Truly. Very like, you just felt loved. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So then kind of bringing things up into what would it have been 2009, 2010, when you and I reconnected after high school and we were kind of wonder wondering what we're going to do next in our in our lives. And I'm questioning dropping out of university, you're... You're taking a gap year. I'm considering taking a gap year. And then we decided to start. I, I decided that I wanted to start another band because my first band, Alistair Quasim, had fizzled out and we had broken up. And Carlin was in that near the end. Yeah. And and another thing I mentioned, too, is that Carlin was a very talented person, especially, oh, yeah. when, it, especially when it came to music. He could pick up almost any instrument and play it. And he was the lead in the big school musical um and he like he 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 could sing like crazy he was in multiple bands at all times throughout high school it wasn't he wasn't just exclusive to one project because that's how talented he was he's like i want to try this genre i want to do this genre i want to try doing this and that's so admirable because i remember being like i can't do that i need to just focus on one thing and i i that would break my brain but he shared his talents with so many different people in so many different areas and that's such a beautiful thing. But yeah, I wanted to start a new band. And I remember having that thought. And I think I was at Carlin's house 
and I'm just like, do you, I'm, I'm thinking of starting a new band. Do you want to be in it? But prior to that conversation, I had gone to you because I knew that you played piano. The keys, baby. And I'm like, do you want to play keyboard in this new project that I want to start up? And you said yes. Um, then I went to Carlin to play bass and sing. And I had met our drummer, Sarah, through Kijiji because I was looking for a drummer. <laughs> and Sarah ended up being just an incredible person, an incredible addition. And Unless hot slang was born. Yeah. One of my... One of my like deepest regrets is the that that band didn't last a long time because Hot Slang is a fucking cool band name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not much came out of it in terms of we had a uh, MySpace with some songs on it, I think. No, Bandcamp. MySpace? I think it was MySpace and it was like some very poorly recorded Yeah, very demos. poorly recorded demos. We played one show. Killed it. Yeah, people liked us. Um but what did come out of it is like the four of us just hung out all the time. Like we would go and pick them up in Edmonton and come back to where we were living in Leduc, where we had like a jam space at your parents' house. Your parents would buy us pizza and not charge anybody every single time that like practice was happening. Yeah. And we, we would just all hang out and like you and Sarah would just constantly want to jam and Carlin and I were more just like, tell us what you want us to play and we will play it because we're classically trained so he and I would just like sit on the couch and like shit talk you guys. Um, yeah. Because Sarah and I are very feelings based. It comes and Carla to- and I are like, what note is it? What time signature is it? I mean, he was very <laughs> talented at jamming too. And we're just like devil horns. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but we had, it was a brief, it was like, you know, a year and a bit. And the band never went anywhere. But I think we have some really good memories. We have this, I have this ridiculous memory of us all going to Taco Del Mar together. Yep. <laughs> Taco Del Mar, where you could get your burritos wet. <laughs> you get them wet. And we, yeah, we would just hang out. And uh, Carlin moved to BC shortly after that. And you and I started dating. When we, we started were still dating. In the band. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we just didn't get to see him anymore. But anytime he'd be in town and we'd like run into him at a mall, just big hug. And we kept in in touch with each other's lives through social media. And yeah. um, Carlin had been battling cancer for over a year and was really um, transparent about it. Yeah. He, he kind of um, captured his journey through Instagram and shared it with all of his friends. Um, and at one point he started going into remission a little bit and and then he then it started coming back and he moved back here because this is where a lot of his family is. And then, yeah, he was battling with it until yesterday. I'm still processing it. It's hitting me really hard because I think Carlin was one of the most talented and I think above everything, anything else, and I've already said it, kindest people. I've ever met and he was such an important light in my life at a time where we've talked about where I was probably my most selfish and and trying to figure myself out I was dropping out of plays that I had committed to so that I could do my own thing um, and I would come to regret it years later but I never felt judged by Carlin. I never felt like 
I couldn't say what I wanted to him. And I, I felt like he was very forthcoming with me as well. And he was just always down for it, for anything. And I think that's just, those are, and even though we're like, we weren't super tight and in touch uh, over the last few years, I know that, like you said, if we ran into him, I, I still think he would high pitch yell my name and, and jump onto me. <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard when you, when you lose when when somebody that's so fundamentally good as a person leaves but yeah i i think it's i really wanted to talk about this uh, off the bat cuz he's he played such an integral part to my life and he was a part of the beginning of us which is another uh, another big thing and along our journey and yeah i wanted to i wanted to recognize him cuz He's a good one. Yeah, he just had the rawest dad energy. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's yeah, perfectly said. Yeah, We're just all of our thoughts are with his family, family and his loved ones, and uh, I'm I'm sad that he's not going to be in the world anymore. But we'll we'll always remember. <laughs> Lots of crying. <laughs> So if we haven't completely obliterated you right out of the gate, we're going to talk about four movies that we watched this week. And I'm going to need a second before we start. Okay, I think I'm ready. Let's get into the first movie of the week. We went to the theater a lot this week. It's funny, we we watched a ton of movies this week, but in terms of new movies to cover for the show, we only watched four. And the first one was at Metro, and we went to see the 2023 documentary Kokomo City. It was directed by D. Smith, and the people that are featured in it are Daniela Carter, Coco Dadal, Leah Mitchell, and Dominique Silver. A synopsis, a raw depiction of the lives of four black trans sex workers as they confront the dichotomy between the black community and themselves. What do you think of Kokomo City? So this was one that we made a point of seeing because I think it's important to see things made by and about folks who don't get a lot of things made by and about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, I think the exercise, it was an exercise in listening, right? Like going and with no judgment or pre-expectations, just going to experience this film because it's something I find interesting about this is that there's no writing credit mm-hmm. um, where most documentaries still have a writing credit because there's a degree of like taking all of the stuff and then putting it into some kind of a form that requires like the, I don't know if it's a legality, but requires a writing credit. This is truly just D Smith, who is a trans woman herself. Mm-hmm. Um, just giving the space and time for these four women to just talk. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, even in speaking about this film, knowing that like we are not of the same identity or life experience as these uh, four women and D. Smith, the filmmaker, um, I just pulled a bunch of quotes from D. Smith in different articles that she's done or interviews that she's done to speak a little bit about it. So cool. One of the things that D. Smith um, has said about 
like what her goals were in making the film. So I have a quote from her where she said, quote, damn, I really position these girls to tell their stories and say whatever is most important to them. And we have an audience that's not arguing with them, denying them, fighting them. The audience has to sit and listen because they're compelled and captivated by what these women are saying. How powerful is that to have these women with no makeup, no fancy hair, it's just them and people give them a standing ovation. There's nothing else that could be more valuable than that moment. That's really beautiful. That's really well put because that is definitely the highlights of the film while it goes into different places of focus some throughout these women just sitting in their houses or in their apartments on their bed couch in the bathtub talking to D, who I, I assume they're talking to D Smith behind yeah. the camera. It's just so powerful to listen to them talk about nothing and everything. Yeah. And I find the moments in the film. So this is D Smith's first film. She's worked in the music industry, but this is her first foray into film. Um, like, does she do like music videos and stuff? No, I think she was a producer, okay. like with some big people, um, a Grammy nominated producer. Oh shit. Um, so she's done music producing for Lil Wayne, Katy Perry, CeeLo Green, and I'm sure others. That's a big deal. Um, yeah, a really big deal. And so this is like, she has strong experience. She's done really good work in that field and she's moving into a different medium. And I think that's such a tricky thing when anybody is like well-established in one medium and then moves into another. I was, I mean, totally different type of person, but I was watching an uh, interview with Killian Murphy where he said he really likes to make music, but he feels like no one would take him seriously as a musician, even if it was like, really strong music because he's an actor. I'll be honest. I felt a similar way about Johnny Depp back in the day. I'm just like, I mean, I know you didn't. <laughs> no, I, I never liked his music. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm I, I was, I meant, I mean, he's kind of pee pee poo poo is what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. who cares? <laughs> who cares about Johnny Depp? But I'm saying, I think with anyone and obviously D Smith, she doesn't have that visibility of like a Killian Murphy or a Johnny Depp mm -hmm. because when you're working as a music producer, even people who like Katy Perry and CeeLo Green and Lil Wayne may not know who produced their songs. Mm -hmm. Definitely people in the industry would. But I still think it's hard to move mediums. And like if you're working in Hollywood to go from being successful in one medium to another. So this is her first film. And anytime we had those moments where it was just the four women speaking, I was really into the style, like the way it was shot. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of cool you sharing that she has a background in music because that was kind of a big takeaway for me is that this felt the vibe that I actually got from it was very fuck you I'm punk <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and it had some very kind of punk rock editing to it like it just felt very yeah it felt very like fuck you here is me just talking about my life my soul my what I go through and I'm going to share that with you for, I'm going to share the the gritty details. I'm going to share the nice details. Like this is just raw, and I really, really love that. I even get that from the tagline that's on the poster. Like their bodies, period. Their business, period. That's just really. Again, yeah. Go back to the word of raw. And I think when I was watching it, some of the like editing and and the way it was put together, like wasn't what I was expecting it to be, and didn't totally work for me for what I wanted it to be but it's not my film and then I go and I think like you know it's got some it's got some similarities in editing editing to like rip a remix manifesto 
Oh yeah. Um, which I like the editing there. So I'm not being too hard on this film because I like wanted a particular thing from it because of its subject matter. Um, but I've, I've seen uh, reviews on Letterboxd. People said they really liked that part of it. Um, and they really liked the way that it kind of mixes like seriousness and levity, both in what the women are saying and in the way the editing's handled. Um, yeah. Like there is this sort of kinetic aspect to it. Well, not all of the cuts necessarily work for me throughout. Um, like there's moments where one of uh, one of the women delivers something that is quite profound and thought provoking. And then we'll have like a hard cut and a big tonal whiplash to, to something else. And I'm just like, I just wanted to sit in that moment a little bit. And it's, it's kind of, it's not constantly happening, but there's a few moments where I think the editing, it does a bit of a disservice to uh, some of the women and the stories that they're telling and letting the viewer just sit in that for a little bit. But I think it's interesting because that's again about our expectations. Yeah. Because if you think of the editing as a reflection of what it must be like for those women to live their lives, that's probably what it's like. Tonal whiplash, hard shifts, right? So Yeah, that's true. I'm mindful of like how much is me wanting a particular type of film unfair. Right? Yeah. And and as someone who isn't a filmmaker, you and I talk about this a lot. We try to not like review films. Yeah. We try to just talk about what they made us think about and how they made us feel because we aren't filmmakers and who are we to tell anybody how to make their film? That's just it. Like it's not necessarily in those moments that I'm talking about. It's not necessarily trying to can like trying to make the, us feel a certain way or give us an expectation. It's trying to represent its subject matter. Exactly. So there's actually, I think a strong and, impressive focus on the women over the audience as it should be well right? there's a difference between catering to an audience that you come away feeling a certain way and doing what you, you uh, notice the tagline is doing which is saying like their body's their business and fuck you if you don't understand well and i think we can definitely take that away in that quote from d smith like it was essentially she wanted to grab the audience by the collars and be like you're you gonna listen. watch this and yeah. you're gonna listen so i have another quote from her where she talked about um like a goal with the film or like goals with the film that I really liked where she said, quote, in real life, trans women are funny and we're sad and we're sexy and we have body parts that are our body parts. It's time to embrace that enough with the fortresses that are built around us, keeping us from fully joining society. Quote, end quote. Um, Smith seems like fucking so badass. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I love that where she's saying like, she's trying to show it all because like I actually laughed a lot in this movie. Yeah. Even when there's some really heavy stuff being talked about, the way that these women approach life, sometimes with anger, sometimes with cheekiness, sometimes with sadness, sometimes all at once, all of those things um, was really impressive. I think before I talk about another aspect of this film, um, I want to talk about the absolute pieces of shit who were in our audience. So we've been having a tough audience week um, from like little things like a theater with 200 people, but one person is using their phone, which is just there's 199 other people who aren't and who are quiet and who are watching the movie and then one person who sucks. But we've had a couple like 
bad experiences like drunk teenagers coming in and out and dropping things and being on TikTok at like full brightness at the front of the theater. Um, But this was something else entirely because all of that is just kind of like disrespectful to the audience. But this was disrespectful to the film because I think if you're going to go see a movie like Kokomo City, first of all, you should know what you're seeing. You know, this is at our local indie theater, Metro Cinema. Um, I don't think people go to that just like having no idea what they're getting into the way people might at a Cineplex where they like go see the favorite and don't realize that it's not some like old ass Queen Elizabeth movie. Well, And there's many resources both outside on being online and inside Metro where you can look at the synopsis for everything. Yeah. They do playing. a really good job of through like they have a printed guide that you can look at in the theater. Their website has like a ton of information on each film. When you click onto it, they do Instagram and Twitter po- or X posts. Yeah. Like they, and and then when you go to the theater, they pay, play trailers for what's coming up at the theater, not just like blanket trailers, like at um, a multiplex. Mm-hmm. So this was a very small audience, which I expected. It was late on a weeknight. Like it was a 930 show on a weeknight. Um, there was like maybe 10 people in a 500 theater audience. Yeah. And almost everybody seemed to be there with a level of like respect and like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen to, to what this film wants to say to me. But then these three motherfuckers who for all I could tell are not in any of the identity categories of the women in the film. Yep. Not race wise, not gender wise, mm-hmm. not anything wise. Um, they come in late. Strike one. And are really noisy when they come in late. Uh, they proceed to go sit up in the mezzanine, where, which is where we like to sit. And then they're just talking at full volume. And this is a quiet movie, right? It's it's just women and some men, <laughs> but mostly <laughs> women talking into the camera. And they talked at full volume the entire movie. Like we, so we've taken to lately, if we can just moving seats like we did this we went and saw past lives again and there was a group of kind of chatty people and we were up in the mezzanine and we're like let's just go to the front of the theater and we did and then we couldn't hear them anymore and that was great Mm -hmm. but these people were so loud and the movie was quiet that even when we moved to the front of the theater we could still hear them and hear them loudly yeah they're literally talking full full volume Throughout the entire movie. Like, it's not like they're leaning over and just saying one thing about what they just saw. Like, there is no way they were watching the movie. No. And while we moved, there was one poor soul who was sitting a little bit behind us that didn't move. But at one point in the movie, that person got up and... Asked them to be quiet. Asked them to be quiet. And then they weren't. And I think they asked them again. And then we heard, we overheard at one point that person just said, like, come on. Or they said, like, hello. Hello. Yeah. Just like, so there was nothing that was going to make these people be quiet. And they were like belligerently so. Like, I, I really assess the situation if I'm going to go and ask someone to be quiet or get off their phone. And I, and I try and do it really respectfully. I try and just say, hey, would you mind getting off your phone? Like, I'm finding it distracting. But these were people who I'm just like, I feel like it's going to escalate. I feel like if I go try and talk to them, it's going to escalate. And I also just in this situation didn't want to subject the staff of the theater to that. It's a volunteer staff. These people seemed like they were going to get rude and rowdy if people tried to talk to them. But what I can say is I found it disgusting 
and so disrespectful to the women in the film and to D. Smith, the filmmaker, like, and I find it to be a form of violence to come to a, a film, a documentary film about black trans women, sex workers and talk over them. Yeah. So yes, of course it was disrespectful to the people in the audience. And there were some people in the audience who I think do have many more identity connections and experience connections to the women in the film and to them, that's a form of violence to us. It's an annoyance. Right. But I was, I was livid. Yeah. I was just livid. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that anyone would come to a movie like this and do that. Well, and to just add insult to injury, they buttoned the movie with one of the members of that group. As soon as the title card came up at the beginning, they like whooped. And then as soon as the credits started, they whooped again. And it's like, you don't get to come here and... And performatively act like you just think like these women are so cool and badass when you talked over them. Talked over them the whole movie. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. So I was really mad about that. Um, Enough space to those people, but just like... Fuck them, fuck that. If anybody has thoughts about like what we could have done to handle that better. Um, there was many, like it was not just that one person who was sitting near the three people who were talking. There was a group of three in front of them and then there was a couple more people in the mezzanine. And I was really surprised that other than that one guy, nobody said anything to them uh, or moved. Like we, I find us moving to be an act of protest. <laughs> like, We'll usually throw a few glances their way as well. It's like, we're doing this because of you. Yeah. And then, you know, you can see because because the theater is a mezzanine and a main floor, people can see we're not leaving. They can see that we move to the front. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to give those people any more space. Yeah. So something that um, we have to talk about with this movie is that one of the things that D. Smith was really focused on is. And of course it is a part of the film, but it wasn't her focus. She was trying not to make this like a film just about like the violence that black trans women experience. And yet it's embedded into the film because Coco Dadal was murdered after this film came or like after this film was made, but before it came out. Um, And the film has a like in memory to her at the end of it. And Mm -hmm. so even though it's not the main focus of the film other than when the women talk about some violent experiences that they've had and fears that they have and other women that they know who have died um, or been murdered, died is not the right word. It's not like the main focus of the film. It's not like this is a film exclusively about like violence towards black trans women of color. Wow, that was redundant, but black trans women, sex workers, so I have a couple of things that D. Smith said because I feel like she should have the voice here. And I also mm-hmm. will link to like the, this full variety article that she wrote about Coco at all. Mm. So she said, quote, the movie sets the tone for people to open their hearts and be more compassionate. And these women being so transparent and visible has moved the needle much further along. But the truth of Coco's death added an urgency to this film and their story. And then, um, In the same article, but later on, she says, quote, on Tuesday night, Rashida Williams was shot and killed in Atlanta. Rashida, a.k.a. Coco Dadal, was the latest victim of violence against black transgender women. I created Kokomo City because I wanted to show the fun, humanized, natural side of black trans women. I wanted to create images that didn't show the trauma or the statistics of the murder of transgender lives. I wanted to create something fresh and inspiring. I did that. We did that. But here we are again. It's extremely difficult to process Coco's passing, but as a team, we are more encouraged now than ever to inspire the world with her story, to show how beautiful and full of life she was. She will inspire generations to come and will never be forgotten. It's really well said. 
But it's, I think, that while not being the focus of the film, just as a reminder that we need films like this and we need more. We need more variety of media that depicts and represents the lives of people who don't often get to be depicted in a variety of ways. And we also need to continue to be active and to fight in real life. Yeah. And I think on top of that too, we need films like this to be made, but we need films like this to be shown. And that's where I'm grateful to Metro cinema for having multiple showings of this. I would absolutely love it was, if it was even more accessible put into the multiplexes uh, of the world. Uh, so even more folks could, could go and partake. This seems like the kind of film that might be on a movie or a criterion one day. Like yeah. maybe not a criterion, like official release, but on the channel. Yeah. Um, and if, if we find out that it is, we'll post that. Like even if it's in a couple months, we'll post that on Instagram because I think it's important to listen when these stories are told. And um, D. Smith does a really purposeful depiction of telling these stories and these four women do as well. Um, that she's proud of, that they're proud of, and that we should listen to. 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful that we were able to get out and see this. And uh, when it's more widely available, highly recommend you check it out as well. How did Kokomo City make you feel? It made me feel grateful and moved by the vulnerability and honesty of the four women. Yeah. You? I just put grateful. That's a heftier film, and we had a hefty beginning in talking about some of our own sadnesses and losses um we're gonna go somewhere a little bit lighter yeah so we went and saw the 1986 comedy musical true stories it was directed by david byrne of the talking heads and it was written by him as well as beth henley and stephen tobolowski tobolowski it stars david byrne as the narrator my beloved john goodman i love him so much he's (laughs) such a sweetie cutie um as lewis fine Annie McEnroe as Kay Culver, Joe Harvey Allen as the lying woman, and Susie Kurtz as the lazy woman. There's also a cute woman, and I don't even know who it is. <laughs> uh, the synopsis, a small but growing Texas town filled with strange and musical characters, celebrates its sesquicentennial and, co- and converge on a local parade and talent show. What did you think of True Stories? Quick question off the top, since you brought up the sweetie cutie himself. Have you ever, despite the pee pee poo poo of it all, have you ever been interested in watching Roseanne or the Connors? No. For John Goodman alone? Nope. Nope. All right. Nope. Okay. Just thought I'd ask. Um, just thought I'd ask. <laughs> I just like him in the Flintstones, to be honest. Do you know what we should rewatch soon? Is Red State. And, and also 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, fuck yeah. But yeah. also the Flintstones. Also, fuck yeah. I would Kyle really... McLaughlin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's bad in it. He's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I his would name love is like it. Cliff Rockefeller. I would love it if Metro played the Flintstones. Oh fuck yeah. That'd <laughs> be so good. Go. Okay. True story. So I'm so happy I'm so happy to have finally watched this. Um so here's the truth about myself is that here's a true story, if you will, is that I wish that I was a bigger talking heads fan. Because I like I I quite like the talking heads. And I just feel like I'd be a cooler person if I was, if I was a bigger Talking Heads fan. Like, if if you're gonna call me the kind of, I mean, okay, I'll say this: 
the kind of talking heads fan that I am is like, I'm a best of greatest hits type of fan. I'm a, I know two songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I listen to psycho killer a lot. Cause it was on, um, guitar hero or rock band. Well, one of my favorite things, and I don't know. I've said this to you, but I always love when you randomly sing the course of psycho killer. You did it a lot more kind of earlier in our well, relationship. Better. Yeah. Um, but you'll whip that out randomly sometimes. And then, yeah, I just listen to it all the time. I don't e- I don't even think I knew that like the talking heads were a big deal. I just like liked that one song. Right. But like Road to Nowhere and Once in a Lifetime are two of my all time fave. Not just talking head songs, but songs. Which is this is not your beautiful house. Yeah. That's one of those? Yeah. How did I get here? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Road to Nowhere. Yeah, it's in 20th Century Women's. So. And the end of Little Monsters. <laughs> nice. Um, and then the my most recent band I was in, we did a cover of Love Goes to Building on Fire, which is another one of my absolute favorite songs by them. So I'm, I am not the biggest Talking Heads fan, but I quite like their music. I also just really like David Byrne as a person. Like I've watched quite a bit of interviews with him. I liked when he showed up in the John Mulaney Sack Lunch Bunch special. Yes. I still want to really, I really want to watch American Utopia um, because I've seen a few performances from that and it just seems really cool. And I, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by the man, the myth, the legend, David Byrne. This is something totally different. Like this is like a proper film documentary ish. Yeah, like I didn't really know much about it, but it has a high rating on Letterboxd. In the Criterion Collection. Yeah, so I was like, we'll go see it. And then a former student of mine reached out to me just like out of nowhere and was like, hey, they're playing one of my favorite movies of all time, True Stories at Metro, in a couple weeks, and I just highly recommend you go. (laughs) And I was like, oh, we were already planning on going, but definitely for sure now. And then leading up to uh, its, its date that it was playing, they had the trailer for it. Um, at other Metro showings. And I was like, this is so silly. Like when we were driving home, I said, this movie would make a great double feature with waiting for Guffman. Mm-hmm. Like it's got that silly. It's just silly. It's just so silly. Yeah. I think that waiting for Guffman's a good bar because I was thinking like my initial thought was best in show, but I feel like best in show goes even more silly. Whereas waiting for Guffman is a little bit more subdued. And this has a subdued, silliness which is kind of our jam when it comes to humor like it's that kind of stuff that can really tickle us and david byrne and his delivery and the style of humor that's the movie's so weird it's so weird but there's so many great like one-liners that are so funny it's weird but it's also wholesome yeah yeah like john goodman's character's plot is that he just really wants a wife yeah He's like, I'm no, I'm no swinger. I, I want a wife. At one point. I want somebody to love. At one point in this small town, he make, he like makes a little self-produced TV commercial. And it's just like, if you're interested, call 465-W-I-F-E. That's 465-Wife. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so silly. It's so funny. Um, I actually didn't know leading up to it that it was like, if it was a movie proper or if it was like a documentary. Yeah. And then when I saw John Goodman was in it, I was like, oh, it's like a proper movie and it's got my cutie sweetie John Goodman in it. <laughs> um, but also it's a musical in a weird way in like a. It's weird because it's like a built into the movie way. 
So more like a um, like a velvet gold mine. Mm-hmm. But also, people probably wouldn't do that in real life. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's really funny, and the music is definitely a bop. Like I found myself just like kind of groove into it in my seat. Yeah, I, a particular highlight for me, and I've been listening to it kind of on repeat for the last few days is uh, the ending song. City of Dreams by Talking Heads is very, very good. I like the one that they all lip sync to. Yeah. It's so much so that uh, David Byrne is credited as narrator slash lip syncer. <laughs> <laughs> also, when we were watching this, they have a song. And I don't know if you had this thought or if you already knew this, but there's a song where they keep saying Radiohead. Yeah. And I was like, the band. 1986. <laughs> Radiohead. Yeah, that's where they got their name. Oh, no shit. Yep. They got it from this movie. Yep. That's incredible. We keep discovering this. Like last week we found out the Fratellis are based on the Goonies. Um, we went and saw the Big Lebowski again this week. And if you listen to our episode, I think it's like 26. Then you know that Stranger in the Alps, the Phoebe Bridgers album, is based on the radio or the TV edit of the Big Lebowski, where instead of this is what you get when you fuck a stranger in the ass, it's this is, this what-, is what you get when you find a stranger in the Alps. It's so good. I love this. I love this. Like, esoteric like i've been a big radiohead fan they're like one of my like big bands i've never seen that like Mm. i would probably travel some distance to see them i don't really listen to them anymore but i'm quite familiar with radiohead um and i was just like radiohead i feel like radiohead didn't start until the 90s so is it possible they got their name from this yes it is i love that that's incredible it's so good (laughs) a a little story i wanted to tell so a, a highlight in this for me is at one point David Byrne, our narrator goes to a mall that's in this town and kind of walks through it and is talking about mall. Like malls are very eighties. Like that's a very eighties thing is when shopping malls started to have like a big uptick. Um, and I kind of love that whole sequence of him walking through. I also, there's, he, he just runs into John Goodman's character throughout this film. And I'd love every time they're like, Oh, Hey, it's very great but this really silly story i want to tell is that when i was sick a few weeks ago and just and just locked in my room away from you trying to do our best to stay separate i mean i'm bored as hell and i just have my laptop and i'm just trying to kill time and find stuff to do i stumble across this youtube channel called best edmonton mall and basically it's this guy who is super passionate about West Edmonton Mall and just makes these little video essays on the history of the different parts of West Edmonton Mall and the mall as a whole. So he has, and they're fucking great. <laughs> I loved them so much. I mean, I but, can't, I can't agree, but. But because I'm like, oh, I got to show you this. You got to see You made this. me watch probably over an hour of Best Edmonton Mall clips, mostly about the Silver City Dragon. It's so interesting. But you also made me watch the heritage. It's not just on West Ed. No, there's. Oh, I have to. Re- we'll put a link in the bio <laughs> or in the <laughs> you description. You have to recommend the one about Heritage Mall. The one about well, it was entered in a local film fest, which is really interesting. But there's one if you're from Edmonton and you remember Heritage Mall, where Century Park Transit Center is now. He does a whole video essay, a short film on the history of Heritage Mall, and I found it compelling as hell. I don't know if it was just because I was sick, but it, it fucking ripped. I really yeah, liked you, it. You were a best Edmonton Mall deep diver Yeah, for that 14 days. I don't know. It's just the nostalgia drip was 
was just dripping away. I will say during the scene in the mall, I was getting Heritage Mall, Best Edmonton Mall vibes. Right? Nice. Yeah. And I was like, interesting. This movie is just, it's so zany. It's a very particular brand of humor that like you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Yeah. There's a line in this film where me and you were laughing and like could not stop. And then we'd like look at each other and start laughing again. Um, it's about a fart. <laughs> and I think a lot of people wouldn't laugh as much as we did, but we did. Um, I think if you hate Christopher Guest movies, you probably wouldn't like this movie. Yep. But highly recommend for just like a silly, goofy, wholesome time. With some good tunes. With some good tunes. How did True Stories make you feel? A satisfying, silly, fun. How'd it make you feel? A wholesome silliness. <laughs> Look at us being like really aligned this week. Love it. All right. Next one. Another one we were excited for, but. I can't believe you gave yourself the film to introduce with all of the Spanish names. I got it. Okay. Uh, um, we went back out to Metro and we watched the 2022 drama slash thriller, The Beasts. It was directed by Rodrigo Sorgoyen, as well as written by him and Isabel Pena. It stars Marina Foy as Olga, uh, Denis Menochet as Antoine, Louis Zahara as Zan, and Diego Anito as Lorenzo. I'll also say Marie Colum as Marie. Synopsis. In this edge-of-your-seat thriller... An expatriate French couple operate an organic farm in the Spanish countryside, but clash with villagers. What do you think of the beasts? So this was one that I think was more on my radar than it was on yours. Yes. I told you I wanted to go see it. There's this tricky thing at Metro where, I mean, we don't want to be there all the time, especially because it's a half hour drive away from us. And so I'm particularly choosy when it comes to newer indies um, because I'm so happy that they're playing them, but not all of them are made equally. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of have a bar for myself of like, it has to have a 3.8 or higher on Letterboxd for me to go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, or people that I follow that I have very similar movie taste to have to have been rating it quite highly. And this one had a four and two people that I follow had seen it and given it a five. Mm-hmm. No, one had given it a five, one had given it a 4.5. And so I was like, okay, I, I want to see it. And then just like with True Stories, I'd kind of committed us to seeing it. And then as it got closer to the date, the trailer was playing and you were then. you were into it then. So this movie is like a perfect exercise in tension. Yeah. Like for the first like 50% plus a little, it just feels like a tightening string. And you're just waiting, like you know the string is going to snap and you're waiting for when that's going to happen. It's like you're tuning a guitar string and you're just like, will one more tune s- snap it or will I get it to where I want it to be? Yeah. Um, and it just, I was fully locked in and I also have to just like, we we complain a lot about audiences because it's been a big problem lately, but this audience was awesome. Like everyone was locked in, everyone was dead silent and this film would be hard to enjoy as much with like an audience that wasn't because this is the kind of film that like sucks you into it. Mm-hmm. And like, you kind of don't even know how much time has passed. You're just locked into it. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. This was, it was such an enthralling look at tension, but specifically neighborly tension. And it was a look at community belonging, understanding, 
and confrontation and how you deal with all of these things as an adult. At least that's how I felt of like, and that's what this movie kind of did is it forced you to put yourself in the scenario uh, as Antoine or even as uh, Zan and Lorenzo, um, the two brothers. The, this was so stressful. I, I'm like the whole time, the conflict between the two brothers and Antoine, I'm just, the whole movie, I'm just like, can't they just talk about this and squash their conflict, please, for like their sakes and mine. (laughs) And something that I do appreciate about the film, for most of the film, even though Antoine is our protagonist, like even though he's the one that we're kind of following. Not perfect. He's not perfect. And sometimes I'm really frustrated with him too, both in like his regular life with Olga and in like the interactions he's having with um, the two brothers. And there is like a extended scene where they kind of talk a bit more honestly with each other where I'm like, I see the brother's side of things. Yeah. I get what they're saying. And that's great. That's I love that. I love when movies do that. Yeah. I love that. He's not just like Antoine isn't just depicted as this like perfect guy who we should just be behind. But I also think like what's happening is really upsetting. <laughs> Like well, yeah. between them and the way it's escalating. And um, there's a particular thing that the brothers do that like I was aghast when I like figured it out that I was just like, I can't believe that. Yeah. Um, although in retrospect, when you kind of hear what their thought is about Antoine and when you think about Antoine as like a gentrifier, like someone who's coming, someone who's not from this small place who has much more money than the people here. He's not rich, but he has much more money than them. Who's like lived a life. This is his like retirement. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, and he's like trying to fix up the other houses that other people like him can come and live there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the other people in the town have a right to be frustrated with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but n- it shouldn't be happening the way that it's happening. <laughs> yeah. No, hundred percent. I, I just, just to kind of touch on and elaborate on what you said is I really like in storytelling where they don't necessarily like to completely vilify the quote unquote bad guys and they don't try to justify that what they're doing is good the way that a movie like Joker does. Mm-hmm. But I like it in movies like the Avengers Infinity War where like what Thanos is doing is not is not a good thing to do, but it gives you insight into why he's doing it. And I appreciate that. It's the same with like the Dark Knight as well with the Joker and and Batman. Like Batman is not a perfect person and what he's doing is not right. Uh, same with the Joker, but it's like far onto the other side of things. And I I like that it's not trying to get you on the side of these villains, but it's giving you insight into why they're making these decisions. Yeah, and we understand can, the logic behind it. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what that's what happens here with Zan and Lorenzo is you can understand where they're coming from. But yeah, like you said, the way that everything is that even that them and Antoine are going about it could be done in a better way. This movie also um I was shocked to find out after it was done that it's based on a true story. Yeah. It's possible that that was made clear in some Spanish text that wasn't translated. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a credit to the real Olga 
her name's not Olga in real life. There's a credit to her at the, or like a thanks mm. or, or a for, I think it's like for her. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know who that was. Just wild. I can't believe that. Um, and this film doesn't play like a based on a true story film. No. And I think that's, that's good. It kind of, I said this a few times and try and say this without sounding like I'm dissing on the film, but it gave me what I get from things like true detective or mayor of East town, but even better. Yeah. I like, mean, like elevated and more nuanced and more complex, but that kind of like, there's a grittiness to it. There's a bleakness to it. I wouldn't say it's a fun time, but it's a captivating mesmerizing time where you just like, can't look away. Yeah. Another example that I threw out there, um, that does all the same things you just described was, uh, the movie children of men. Yeah. Um, just yeah, I, I think I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there of ex- exactly those things. I'm I'm really intrigued to see more from the director, and I'm not sure if his writing partner is like his I think life partner. Well, I don't know that, but I think that his writing partner has written most of his films. But I was looking, and like they both are showrunners on a show called Anti Disturbios. Um, oh, okay. That's, I think it has like an eight or higher on IMDb. Like it's pretty well rated, but if it's in a similar sort of storytelling as, as this, I'm kind of intrigued by that. He's made a lot of films. Yeah, I saw that. And it's kind of, all, it kind of runs the gamut of ratings and whatnot, but I don't know. I, I, I can't stop thinking about this movie. It's really stuck with me. I mean, on the lighter side of things in the film, I really liked the, uh, dynamic between Antoine and Olga as a couple because I think it did show some of the complicated complex things of their relationship but there was also those were a lot of the moments of beauty mm-hmm. in the film as well as their relationship with their neighbor Pepino <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think there's like there was a really nice dinner scene with those two and then Pepino and, and his wife and that was just really nice and yeah I feel like I know you I you kind of said the opposite but walking out of this movie I feel like I could get so much more on a second watch and pick up on so much more and really dial into some of the smaller details. I um, definitely would watch it again. Um, yeah, cool. It's one that like I don't want to say too much about other than if you like things that are a little bit bleaker like a memories of murder would be another like Kim, mm. like that would make a really bleak but good double feature, <laughs> um, Bong Joon Ho's memories of murder. Um, yeah, I feel like kind of like a bleak, tense. Has some like like some politics within the film. There's a crime aspect. Also, like some stunning filmmaking and performances. Oh yeah, cinematography is beautiful. Performances are are phenomenal. Marina Fua, who plays Olga, is like MVP. Um, she's so good. I would just highly recommend you check this film out. If if those are things you like, if you like a good fun time, two stories. Yeah. And then the beast. <laughs> yeah. Very different, different things. I want to share a quick story. When we, when we walked out of the movie, you had to go to the washroom and I was standing in the lobby and there was two older ladies that walked out of the movie theater. And I think that one had gone to the washroom and the other one was waiting. And then the one they rejoined. And as soon as the one that was in the washroom linked up with her friend, she said, well, that was dark. Eh? Want to want to get a coffee and talk about it? 
I love that. So, That's going to be us when we're older. <laughs> so I'm imagining that they went across the street to the coffee shop and had a little unpacking session about the beast. Should have. Um, Can we come? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, new friends. Can we join? You want to be on the pod? <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yep. Highly recommend. How'd it make you feel? It made me feel a bleak and captivating tension. Yeah. You? Uh, aligned again. Compelled and tense from start to finish. Okay. Last film of the week. And the only mystery movie pick of the week and the only movie um, we watched at home for the week, I think. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, lot of theater time this week. We're trying to make up for those two weeks where you were sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked Logan, the 2017 action drama sci-fi. It was directed by James Mangold and written by him as well as Scott Frank and Michael Green. It stars Hugh Jackman, of course, as Logan, Patrick Stewart as Charles, Daphne Keene as Laura, Boyd Holbrook as Pierce, Stephen Merchant as Caliban, and Elizabeth Rodriguez as Gabriella. Synopsis. In a future where mutants are nearly extinct, an elderly and weary Logan leads a quiet life. But when Laura, a mutant child pursued by scientists, comes to him for help, he must get her to safety. What did you think of Logan? This movie's pretty special. Um, In the pantheon of a very overstuffed genre being the comic book movie genre this is one of the best and this is one of my favorite comic book movies of all time when it came out i remember we were so excited for it i started um reminiscing about when we saw it for the first time because i remembered the trailer is amazing with uh johnny cash's hurt playing on it right it's like one of the best movie trailers that has ever existed and yeah. I had forgotten about it, but it's one of those rare films, maybe not rare, but I feel like it doesn't happen a lot where like the trailer is so phenomenal that I just watch it on repeat and I'm just like fucking amped. Mm-hmm. And then here's where it's rare that the movie actually delivers on how good that trailer was. Like there's been lots of yeah. movies where I'm like the trailer was better than the movie, but this just got me. So the trailer got me so, so excited and um, Wolverine is like my favorite superhero. Like the X-Men are my favorite group. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot more time with the Avengers because of the MCU, but I've always loved the X-Men. Um, as a kid, the only like cartoon I watched of superheroes was the X-Men cartoon. <laughs> loved it. <laughs> loved it. Loved Wolverine in that. I really liked, like I was so excited when uh, X-Men came out in 2000, like 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just always been fascinated with X-Men as, as a group. Like, I think you can ask me why. Yeah. Um, I like that they're mutants. Like, I like that they're mutants, not superheroes. Um, they've got that, like, misfit thing going on, that outsider thing going on that I'm always, I've always my whole life been drawn to. Um, and you can look at that in a very, like, realistic way in the elephant man which we covered last week which i watched when i was 12 years old like a little freak mm-hmm. um and then you've got this where like it's these people who are judged by society outcasted by society i love the character of charles who like brings them together and cares for them when other people won't and not for the purpose to make them superheroes no like that's just it just kind of happens and in fact i think the x-men stories that i've liked the most haven't focused on like donning costumes you know and going out there and fighting the world and i just think the that idea of like the mutants and the non-mutants and magneto and xavier 
it's just so rife with like analysis and political relevance in every era that you encounter it in. Yeah. X-Men is able to use the lens of mutants to explore the hardships and challenges thrust upon multiple oppressed groups. Yes. And then the tensions within those groups Mm. through like Magneto and his people and Xavier and his people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've always like my two favorite super superheroes have always been Spider-Man and Wolverine always, but I like X-Men more than I like Avengers. And so like Wolverine just really has like a special place for me that I think is kind of elevated over Spider-Man. He's also from Alberta. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and like Spider-Man for all intents and purposes is a mutant. That's true. But he wasn't born that way. No, weren't the, weren't the mutants in X-Men born as mutants. You might be right. Like, I think there's a difference between like, like a Captain America who was like made into Captain America or a Spider-Man who was like bit by a spider. Right. Um, Okay. Or a Tony Stark who has created his own Iron Man. Yeah. Or even like a Bruce Banner who like injected himself with stuff that made him the Hulk. Like, I think there's something different going on there. Whereas, and I think that's fundamental to the X-Men that like they were born this way and people want to eradicate them. Yeah. And that's never really a thing with the Avengers. Like people revere them and they're heroes. Yeah. They're super. Yeah. Like they're, like they're, they're great and they're awesome. And I think there's, man, there's a, I'm sure somebody's already written it, but there's a graduate thesis in there about like discursive representations of like the mutants who are born with powers versus the superheroes who are given powers later on and how they are revered and respected. And the mutants aren't. Yeah, I think the closest exploration of the 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 difficulty with that is probably around the Civil War storyline. Yeah, and a little bit in uh, No Way Home. Yeah, but anyway, I just I I just love Wolverine, and I put this in my letterbox review. But there's something particularly special about how Hugh Jackman is the only Wolverine. Yeah, right. Like we've had. Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and um, like we've had Chris Pine and uh, oh uh, Nick Miller, Nick Miller, <laughs> you know, yeah. like we've Jake had Johnson <laughs> and we have Miles Morales and we have Peter Parker. We just have like so many iterations of Spider-Man and I love them all, but there's something about like Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. Like you think of Wolverine, you think of Hugh Jackman, Yeah, even in like the new Deadpool, like it's like we want to have Wolverine. So we're going to have Hugh Jackman. <laughs> And what's really cool about that is, um, I guess even prior to Logan coming out, because Hugh Jackman was very clear that like this was going to be his last movie as Wolverine, but he said, unless Deadpool ever offers me a role. Yeah. Like he kind of, that was his like asterisk to that. Um, I don't know. This is just, Logan is everything I could ever want from a superhero movie. And I would liken it to like what the Watchmen did with, or what HBO did with the Watchmen. Yes, that's perfect. And if if you're a listener and you like, grittier superhero stuff and you haven't watched HBO's The Watchmen, highly recommend. Shit, we should rewatch that. Like, um, I don't even want to name the disgusting puke who's directed most of the X-Men stuff, but his X-Men is like the OG Watchmen movie. Mm. And Logan is like HBO's Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, I don't know. I remember us seeing this in the theater for the first time and I was just so moved by it. Like I was yeah. riveted by the action. I was so 
with Logan on this like journey and like because Hugh Jackman has been Wolverine and this wasn't even some like MCU building towards this thing like this just came from James Mangold and Hugh Jackman being like we want to tell a different story about Wolverine we want to tell a different story about Logan well and they like, they do it so brilliantly like they jump ahead where like mutants are gone almost gone all gone but they they give you bits of information about what's happened but it maintains this era of mystery throughout the whole thing and it doesn't it doesn't flash back or show you anything that happened but it's just through little bits of dialogue that get cut off or that nobody wants to talk about and this is just and like this is a a not so distant future that doesn't that feels like it's a reality within this world and that's that's so good. Like it's it's not trying to show you everything. It's not trying to explain everything. Because that's not the story it's trying to tell. Yeah, James Mangold said his goal with this was to make a superhero movie with a human feel. Success. And I mean, I, I could see that, you know, the mileage for how this works for an individual viewer might vary based on if they like superhero mover, movies or if they know and love the X-Men characters already. Because certainly if you go into this not with superhero in mind is probably more superhero than you want. Mm -hmm. um, but I personally think it's amazing and I love it. I also am such a sucker for like reluctant grizzled pseudo dad stories. Mm -hmm. I.e. Last of Us. So fun piece of trivia here. After this movie got made, I guess uh, James Mangold was just inundated on social media with people being like, you made The Last of Us. And he was like, I don't know what that is. And he's like, I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. I've never played it. Um, and he said he did play it and thought it was a great game. And then fans were saying like he, if they ever make a film or TV version of the last of us, he should do it. And he said, well, no, I think I kind of did. You yeah. guys already made that clear to me. Yeah. yeah no, totally. It is very, it is very the last of us. Oh yeah. But the last of us is not the first version of that either. Like no. of, this guy who is saddled with a child who he didn't act actually want responsibility for, um, but he takes responsibility for nonetheless. And like, not only is that the story, but it's also just such a gritty story of navigating a world that doesn't want Logan in it. And to an extent, he doesn't want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And the only reason to me the film makes clear that the only reason he's continuing to be a part of it is for Charles because he respects and values him so much and he needs somebody to care for him. Yeah. Like that's the one thing keeping him tied to this world is what he owes to Charles and the respect he has for him. This is, I think this is easily Hugh Jackman's best outing as Wolverine. Oh yeah. And I also would argue the best outing for Patrick Stewart as oh, Charles Xavier. Agreed. It's so beautiful and sad and complex and subtle and like you said there's not all this like overly expository like like i get more from this on subsequent viewings and i see the like the pain and the weight and the relationships and all of that and and they are building off of what we've seen in previous films but it also totally works on its own yeah like I was, I was kind of thinking about this. Like I think the subsequent viewings are allowing the story and the emotion to wash over me more and more because I feel like the first time I saw it, when we saw it in a, a big pack theater 
is this was kind of this came out I believe after Deadpool and they were like we're gonna make an R-rated Wolverine movie where there's gonna be swearing and there's gonna be hardcore violence and we're and like we're all like whoa fuck yeah and then we all go in there and like the first time Wolverine says fuck you're like whoa this ain't your dad's X-Men movie <laughs> um and there's like there's some there's some really great like Wolverine fight sequence a lot of beheadings violence yeah like some really good shit in here and i remember that being like you're kind of trying to deal with how jarring that is because it's a new way of presenting a, a comic book movie but a comic book movie with characters that have previously not been in violent comic book movies so i think that was like a big part of the initial viewing and now it's i can just take that is like this is its kind of standalone movie and roll with more of what I love about this story. I was doing just kind of a fun little experiment and I was just thinking because this was just making me think that I would really love a rebooted X-Men and I don't know what that looks like. I'm not well versed in the X-Men lore of what they could do and what that would look like. But I was trying to think of who could take up that challenge, who would take on that challenge. Uh, in terms of filmmakers that I really like, and I mean, here, I'll list a few, and I want to, I want to. Okay, <laughs> I don't really want a rebooted X Men, but okay. Um, if it were to happen, I mean, the low hanging fruit. I the first thing I thought of was like Craig Mazin, but he's already doing Last of Us. I don't so think he would. I don't think no. he would. Not with Disney. I don't think Craig Mazin is interested in working with Disney. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jane Campion. She also, I don't think, would work <laughs> with Disney. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. That, yeah, I could get on board with that. I think that'd be interesting. I think if we wanted some more Western style, Logan style stuff, I'd be very, and like emotionality, Kelly Reichardt. Oh my God. <laughs> she also would never. Wachowskis? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Coens? They also would never work with <laughs> Disney. Do you know who, I think that this would actually be really interesting and could take it in a really good emotional, but also kind of terrifying angle. Mike Flanagan. I think that'd be really good. And then last I had Koganata. <laughs> so this is the problem is like, I'm not opposed to a rebooting of the X-Men because I don't necessarily think that the OG films, I, I do like the, um, the ones with James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, even though I have some issues with some of the casting and who directed them, but I don't necessarily think X-Men has been done as well as it can be done. Yeah. The problem is I don't friggin' trust Disney anymore. And Disney now has X-Men, right? So, like, I just... It's just going to become a machine. Like, yeah. even with the way that they've teased Evan Peters as a mutant, um, I just... I just... I wrote this in my letterbox review, but, like, I don't want a version of the X-Men with, like, so-and-so will return and... Like, you know, I was all in on that for so long and I am just done with it. I'm just exhausted. Like, I'd rather like a four season, 10 episode HBO X-Men. Like a Watchmen. Yeah. Where yeah. like they have a story and they have a story planned and they tell it and it's done. Yeah. I don't know. And I think I'm talking about like our core X-Men too, because I know they did that show Legion, which I think we watched a little bit of. I think we watched like two episodes. Yeah, a little bit like didn't hook us. Um, like I want 
I want our Wolverine. I want our Storm, Cyclops, Beast. Like I, I want the people we've already seen, but just with in a new light, in an intriguing light, much like the comparison of the HBO Watchmen to the film Watchmen. Because I agree with you. I don't think that the best X Men stories have been put to film yet, other than this, with the exception of Logan. I do want to talk a little bit about the R rating because um, James Mangold said something really interesting about it that I really liked. So this is a quote from him. He said, for me, what was most interesting in getting the studio to okay an R rating was something entirely different. They suddenly let go of the expectation that the film is going to play for children. And when they let go of that, you are free in a myriad of ways. The scenes can be longer. Ideas being explored in dialogue or otherwise can be more sophisticated. Storytelling pace can be more poetic and less built like the attention span deficit theater. So he said it wasn't even about wanting to swear and have violence. It was that if it's an R rating, you can make the film you want to make. True. That you're not told like, no, that scene's too long. People are going to like kids are going to be bored by it. You're just free to make the movie you want to make. I get that because it's one thing to have Star-Lord say fuck in Guardians 3. But to like that doesn't change how you tell the story for all ages. Whereas if you're making a purely R rated film, that'll. I feel like that will affect your how you tell stories to his point. And you totally feel that throughout this. Oh, whole yeah. Film. Like this is I mean, down to the title, this movie, like there's never been a, a standalone Wolverine movie that didn't have Wolverine in the title and calling this Logan. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not Wolverine. He's Logan. Yeah. And he's really not Wolverine in it. Right. Like there's mm-hmm. some really interesting stuff, some like meta stuff going on with um Laura and and the other kids and having read X-Men comics and like how he's Wolverine to them. Um, But in this movie, he's just a man. And like, that's what James Mangold said with the title. He wanted people to understand this is a movie about a man, not a movie about a hero. Hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. I think it's perfect. I think if you like Wolverine, this seems like uh, Wolverine by way of um, Lynn Ramsey. (laughs) It's yeah. like you were never really here. Is that what that's called? You were never really here? Yeah. But Wolverine. Um, yeah. It's just so good. I think Daphne Keene is incredible in it. And mm. I was uh, on Letterboxd. She wasn't really in anything else. And that always makes me feel a little icky when I'm like this really young kid was brought in to do this like big budget movie. And then we never heard from them again. But Letterboxd only shows movies. Um, so she's actually the lead in HBO's His Dark Materials. Oh, great. So she is doing some some work. In, and I p- think people really like that show. Yeah. Like those are the Golden Compass books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm really happy that she's getting work because I think she's phenomenal in it. And I, and I, unless it was an active choice by the child and the parent to be like, you know what, making movies isn't for us. It does always make me feel a little icky when like a kid is in one movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's just so good in it. Like the dynamic between the two of them is so, so good. And I just love this movie. It makes me cry a whole bunch. It makes me feel a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And there's so many, there's so many memorable moments throughout it that when I think of Logan, I I just go right to these, to these bits. It has one of the best endings of anything, of anything, I think. Great end credit music. And like for, again, we've been so inundated with comic book movies, specifically MCU movies that have this formula to every film where it just ends in this CGI fast battle. And this just, this subverts all of those go-to Marvel, Marvel MCU tropes. Yeah, And James Mangold said that he like wanted to use as little CGI as possible. Cause he said, even when the effects are really great, he feels like it feels inauthentic. 
and he didn't want that. I mean, I'm also a sucker for, so I read that like when he was creating this film, so he had worked with Hugh Jackman. I think he had been involved in some of the other X-Men movies in like different capacities, Hmm. like not as a director. Right. Um, But he's known him and Hugh Jackman had known each other for like decades, like a couple decades. And they kind of were collaborating on this. And he said when creating the film, he asked, quote, what is Wolverine frightened of? What is Logan afraid of? The answer that came to me was love. Love scares him. Intimacy scares him. Being dependent on others scares him. Being vulnerable scares him. Mm -hmm. That as a concept for a movie is like my jam. Yeah. Like I love that idea of a person who does love, does care, but is afraid to let that happen because of what it means. And I think, I mean, that is the last of us as well. Yeah. Um, It's so good. I just want to take a moment and just express how much I really like Hugh Jackman as a person. Like yeah. Everything. He hasn't made perfect movies. The sun seems like a big pile of doo doo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I know he hasn't made it. Not everything has been 10 out of 10 hits, but like he just seems like from what I've read, what I've read and heard from people that have worked with him is just like, he's the kindest guy. He's really patient. He's a Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I love the dynamic he has with his wife the dibs and that she's like, I don't like when you do these movies because you're just in the gym all the time and I don't get to see you. And I want to eat food with you and not have you just eating like plain chicken rice and chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This movie is so, so good. I'm really glad we revisited it and I think we'll probably revisit it more often. Yeah. Yeah. How did Logan make you feel? Grateful for this gem amidst an overstuffed genre. That make you feel. Intensely invested in this cherished character. Mm. I love him. I love Logan. I love Wolverine. I love Hugh Jackman. I love the X-Men. I think I might have told you. So one of my favorite games of all time is the Marvel Spider-Man game for PlayStation. And the sequel's coming out soon. Yeah, they're making a Wolverine one. Same people are making a Wolverine one. I'll play that one. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. Okay, Dads of the Week. Let's talk about them. Bad Dad is your nominee. Uh, I picked Sam. Sam. Zan? So From the I, Beasts? So I picked Zan and Lorenzo. Yeah, that's fair. As dual bad dads. Uh, you know what? No, I'm going to argue mine, but you can argue yours first if you want. I, I just think that Zan has such a hold on his brother and they just kind of enter this feedback loop of the feelings that they have and that contributes to things like refusal to listen and understand other people. A stubbornness and, a, and an unwillingness to change or to adapt. They're bullies independently and together. And they're just unkind. And all of that leads to them being dangerous people. So I agree with you. Um, but something you said is why I only picked Zan. And that's the influence he has over his brother. Because the film makes clear that um, Lorenzo has had an injury that's impacted his like cognitive cognitive skills. And because Zan has such influence over him, I think if he were to approach things in a different way, then Lorenzo would approach things in a different way. Independently as well. What do you mean? Because I'm thinking there's a particular scene where Lorenzo is by himself. But I think that he's acting the way he is because of the precedent his brother has set for him. Right? Like Zan has a responsibility to his brother as the person who is, living with him and caring for him post his brother's injury. Um, 
And like even the cops say in the film that like Lorenzo is essentially easily influenced and is not the same as he was before his injury. And so I think like Zan, he continues to escalate things, which lead like, and then he leads by example, causing his brother to continue to escalate things. Um, and there's even a point in the film where it's made clear that at one point Zan and Antoine were like friendly with each other and liked each other. And I think it's him that turns the tide and like makes his brother go with him. All right. I'm convinced. Okay. Zan. Don't, don't be our dad. Brad dad. dad. I, 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 I bounced back and forth between two, but I landed on Logan. Well, I have a different one. Oh, so with Logan, though he is old, weathered, run down, and quite brusque in nature, he still retains his capacity for good uh, and for caring about those that are important to him and for listening to those around him. Like, communicating with a guy seems difficult as hell. So is he a perfect dad? No. But he's a protector of the ones he cares about. And that's what I would like from a dad somebody that i know will have my back and look after me who's yours charles so when i look at the movie logan i actually think charles is the rad dad of the film because of what you've said like yes logan is a protector but i mean i think that he and i and i'm not saying he couldn't become a rad dad one day but i think charles is that light in the film he when we look at him as being like a fatherly figure to both Laura and Logan, uh, because he's in contact with Laura. Right. And then he's like, they have this like cheeky, cute little relationship. Once she's there, he's in tune with each of their personalities and needs independently. And he speaks to both of them. Like, like what Laura might need, which might just be a bowl of friggin' cereal. <laughs> right. Or a new outfit. Like she sees an outfit and the kid needs clothes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and with Logan, like Charles understands why he's so closed off. He understands that that isn't good for him to be so closed off. And I feel like Charles is honest, but always kind about it. And I, w- I wouldn't say the same for Logan. Like there's scenes where he prioritizes Charles over Laura. Right. And I feel like his own shit gets in the way too much. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just feel like, Charles is amazing. As soon as you said the word Charles. You were uh, like, yes. It washed over me. Yeah, like he's he's observant in a way that Logan isn't. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's just because Charles is because of Charles's powers. No. Um yeah. Yeah, see, yeah, as soon as you said Charles, I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Charles Xavier. Be our dad. dad. My runner up was uh the narrator, David Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I actually don't blame you for that. Um, cool. Rad Wreck. It's a bit of a silly one, but an important one. Yeah, it's a uh, copy your friends complimentary. <laughs> yes. So, you know, for a lot of my life when I'm when I'm younger, if my friends, the friends I had in my life had a cool hairstyle, cool outfit, cool shirt, or they liked cool stuff, or whatever it was, I would, would, there's two things. I would either feel compelled to try to seek some of those things out 
and when I was around other people, act as if I had discovered them on my own. <laughs> or I would have to actively and very subtly try to take on those things that I liked without feeling like I was copying them. As I've gotten older, I feel like I can just more blatantly be like, I really like this thing that you have or this thing that, that you like. Can I copy it? <laughs> yeah, I still think it's a great idea to like ask. I know like when I was younger, if like somebody bought a shirt that I had or started listening to a band that I liked, I'd be like, ah, I had that first. Yeah. And now I'm kind of like, oh, I'm flattered that like I influenced them in that way. But I still think it's sweet to ask like our buddy Ashley, who we've had on the show many times. If this isn't your first time listening, then you probably know who she is. Um, I'll always be like, hey, are you okay if we twin and I get that thing that you have? And she's always like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, and you seem to always twin with your buddy Jake. Yeah. He's he's a big influence over you. Oh, yeah. But I also appreciate that we have friends that encourage that. So, like, we went over to our buddies, uh, Kate and Caitlin, and they had this really nice poster that immediately, as soon as I walked into their place for the first time, I was like, oh, I love this. This is so great. And then, yeah, then Caitlin texted me and was like, hey, it's that I know Elliot really liked that poster. I know his birthday is coming up. Here's where I got it from if you want to get it for him. Yeah. So it's not even like a thing of like, oh, we'll have the same poster. Like we can't have the same poster. That's crazy. No. <laughs> it's like, no, like here, here's the thing. He liked it. Put it up in your house. <laughs> we, uh, we fell in love with Crocs after you tried them on at Jake and Danielle's house. Yeah. Who we will soon be having on the show for a special deep dive. Yeah, very excited. We've already recorded it. It's awesome. Can't wait. And if you tuned into our show earlier when we watched the movie Blue Jean, I said that was the first time in a long time that a character in a movie made me question if I wanted to dye my hair blonde. And then we went over for pizza in a movie at Jake and Danielle's. And it was the I think the day that he had just dyed his hair blonde. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm sold. I'm going to dye my hair blonde. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's the that's the red wreck. Copy your friends, complimentary. Ask permission so that you can be a cutie sweetie and they'll feel cutie sweetie about it and they'll be like, oh, and then you can just be twinning together. That's because at the end of the day, that's kind of why you're friends with your friends. Because they're cool people and you love each other and you want to wear Crocs together. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. You can follow us and sign into our DMs on Instagram and threads at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching over on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames will be in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating review or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for these mutants this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Bye.